Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. This was Momofuku Ando's funeral. 6,500 people sat in the baseball field at Osaka's domed baseball stadium. Everyone sat solemnly, looking towards a long white stage flanked by Buddhist monks. It was dark. The only light came from bluish LEDs twinkling like stars. Galaxies rotated on video displays. The funeral felt like it was in outer space. The theme honored Momofuku Ando's birth and his accomplishments. Ando was born in 1910, a year when Halley's Comet brushed by Earth. And in the last few years of his life, Ando successfully created Space Rom, ramen that could be eaten in zero gravity, which was sent to space on the Discovery Space Shuttle in 2005. This is the incredible true story of Momofuku Ando's 96 years of life. On March 5th of 1910, Momofuku Ando was born in Taiwan and raised by his grandparents. This was during the 50 years of Japanese rule that started after Japan won the first Sino-Japanese War in 1895. He was a natural entrepreneur and started a clothing business when he was only 22. With his success, he moved to Japan the next year and expanded his clothing company while still attending university. But during World War II, he lost everything when Osaka was firebombed by American forces. It was a tragedy that informed his worldview. He saw the hungry all around him. In a 1988 interview, he said, quote, The world is peaceful only when everyone has enough to eat. With his strong respect for food, he made his first attempt at entering the food industry by producing salt and nutritional products, but it was too competitive, and he didn't succeed. So he worked as chair of a credit union until it went bankrupt in 1957. He was 47 that year and had once again lost his livelihood. But Ando was not one to give up. He saw every failure as a muscle added to his body. He thought once more about food and remembered a day when he had seen people waiting in a long line for a bowl of noodles. He thought, if the hungry could have a bowl of warm noodles whenever they need it, wouldn't it be great? With this thought, he pursued his goal of creating instant noodles with fierce determination. He built a shed in his backyard that was to be his makeshift lab for creating instant noodles. He bought a used noodle-making machine, a Chinese wok, some flour, and cooking oil. He set his criteria right from the start. His noodles had to be tasty, non-perishable, and ready in less than three minutes. He knew he had to figure out two things to create instant noodles. First, he had to find a way to remove all moisture from the noodles in order to make them non-perishable. Second, he had to find a way to revive the noodles by putting the moisture back in. He worked for a year in his little shed. And finally, he got the creative insight that he needed when he watched his wife making vegetable tempura. Ando once said that perspiration might lead to inspiration, but only if you set clear goals. He set clear goals. 
He worked hard, and he got the inspiration he needed. When Ando watched that tempura batter enter the frying oil, he recognized two important things. One was that the oil pushed the water out of the batter. Two was that the water exiting the batter created little pores in it. So dipping noodles in hot oil would remove all the water from the noodles, making the noodles non-perishable, and create pores in the noodles, so that water could re-enter them and moisten them up again. Ando had figured out how to create instant noodles. The year was 1958. Of course, that isn't the end of this story of persistence. It's never easy to introduce a new idea to the world. When Ando approached wholesalers, they told him it was too expensive for consumers because at the time it cost six times as much as a serving of fresh noodles. So he took matters into his own hands and organized tastings around the city. The tastings were very successful, and within a year, he had a factory that was producing 100,000 packs of instant noodles every day. The noodle shops discredited his product as a high-tech craze, but he proved everyone wrong. His flash frying drying method is still used today, and his company Nishin continues to innovate with great success. Ando started with noodles in a backyard shed, and he ended with sending his noodles to space. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. At this point in our incredible true story, Ando has just managed to convince people in Japan to buy instant noodles. Now we're going to tell you how instant noodles evolved into cup noodles and went international. Right from the very first packs of instant noodles Ando made, he had planned to go international. He was going to sell his product in the West. That's why the very first flavor of instant noodles was flavored like chicken noodle soup. Not soy sauce flavored, but chicken noodle soup flavored, because Ando knew that people in the West might find soy sauce flavoring just a little bit too foreign. He famously said, "Let them eat it with forks," showing that he wanted to spread his product to the West and was going to accommodate Western norms. In 1966, Ando traveled to Los Angeles to promote his product. According to an article by Karen Lebowitz, he saw the supermarket executives he was meeting with reuse their styrofoam coffee cups to hold instant noodles. At this point, he already knew that making portable bowls was the next step to improving the convenience of instant noodles, and now he knew how to shape his portable bowls. They would actually be shaped like cups. Cups would be the trendy new way to eat noodles. Bowls were outdated. Cups you could carry around with one hand without soup spilling. With his usual accurate foresight, Ando chose young adults as his target market. In order to reach his target market, he again used tasting events. This time, he set up tasting events in Ginza, the fashion district in Japan. It was a successful tactic, and cup noodles took off. Ando's cup noodles were brilliantly designed. Because manufacturing equipment at the time lacked the finesse to evenly wedge the noodles into cups, he had the machines put the cups over the noodles instead. We should also note that the noodles went in the mid portion of the cups, so they did not sit at the bottom. Having noodles in the mid portion of the cups made them more structurally sound, a great asset for shipping. As well, the noodles had room to expand on both sides when hot water was poured in. 
Ando's innovations took off. By 1973, Nishin had opened its first factory in the U.S. Today, Nishin continues to innovate. Ando had wanted his product to feed the masses. He never intended his noodles to be considered cheap, unsubstantial food. So these days, his company is working on adding nutrients to the center layer of their noodles. You see, Nishin has created a line of healthier noodles called Rau that are not fried. These noodles consist of three layers of different textures to mimic fresh noodles. The outer layers are silky, and the inner layer is chewy. They've achieved these different textures by changing the levels of gliadin and glutenin that combine to form the gluten in the noodles. The chewy center layer is where they are working on adding the nutrients. In the year 2000, the Fuji Research Institute took a poll to see what innovation the people of Japan thought was the best Japanese invention of the 20th century, and you guessed it, instant noodles took first place. It beat out karaoke, which came in second, the Walkman, which came in third, and even Pokemon, which came in at eighth place. Hey, Factory, we've got food buff mail. Awesome. So Michelle wrote in to say. I just listened to the bubblegum episode, and I wanted to clarify that many Americans are familiar with Kinder eggs. They're technically illegal here, but I have a friend who has repeatedly snuck them into the country. Her sister sent her a big box of them from Switzerland one Christmas. You can buy a similar product at stores that sell European candy, but the eggs don't typically hold toys. They're usually cards with pictures of cartoon characters or something similar. Michelle also says, "I remember Kinder eggs or something like that when I was a kid back in the early '90s. So I bet some other listeners do too." And she sent along a cute picture of her Kinder egg toy. So thanks for writing in, Michelle. We got a request on Facebook saying we should definitely do an episode on Kinder eggs, which I actually call Kinder Surprise eggs. So we are going to do an episode on that for sure. Shout out to what underscore uc for the kind review on iTunes. Remember, we read every single review and appreciate that you all take the time out of your day to help us out by reviewing us. We're really trying to grow the podcast so that we can put out more content. We're still a small podcast. And you guys are our precious listeners. So if you'd like to find out how else you can help us, visit www.foodnonfiction.com and click on the help us page. So Lillian, did you grow up eating a lot of cup noodles? I did. Always elevated cup noodles, though. So a bowl of cup noodles where you put like eggs and maybe some meat and definitely some vegetables in it. Okay, so not just like the plain one that all the college students survive on for. No, no, my, on end. <laughs> my philosophy is you can eat whatever you want as long as you just add some veggies on the side. Gotcha. What about you? Um, I did have some top ramen and like some instant noodles growing up, but not very frequently. I personally find it way too salty. I feel like I'm dehydrated as soon as I take a sip of the broth. All right, friends and food buffs, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we look forward to next week when we provide you yet another incredible true story behind food.